Welcome to Rumsey Connections. My name is Meredith Gaskins, and I'm joined today by Ileana Acosta, who is the Program Manager of the Adult and Adolescent Substance Abuse Programs at Rumsey, along with Anthony Arpaia, a nurse who is an active Deputy Chief with the FDNY and the Healthcare Coordinator for Rumsey Silberstein Center. Welcome. Thank you for joining me today. Happy to be here. Thank you. So through Rumsey Connections, you will meet the fantastic doctors, nurses, and medical professionals that make our hospital thrive. We'll also provide useful information about your own health, explore the latest medical news, and hopefully get you answers to some of your own health-related questions. Now, today is Season 2, Episode 1. We are going to kick things off with our addiction services. Now, drug addiction is a complex disease. It takes more than willpower to overcome the problem. However, with the right treatment and support, positive change is always possible, regardless of the circumstance. Addiction affects not just the addict, but the family as well. Richmond University Medical Center provides a variety of comprehensive addiction treatment programs and services at the Center for Integrative Behavioral Medicine, located at 1130 South Avenue in Staten Island, New York, which we will be learning about more today. As I mentioned previously, we are joined by Ileana Acosta and Anthony Arpaia. Ileana received her bachelor's degree from John Jay College of Criminal Justice, where she graduated magna cum laude in forensic psychology. Ileana received her master's degree from NYU School of Culture, Education, and Human Development, Master of Arts in Counseling for Mental Health and Wellness. Anthony is a registered nurse and active New York City firefighter. Anthony graduated the College of Staten Island with an associate's degree in nursing in 1995 and joined the FDNY as a firefighter in 1997. After two years with the FDNY, Anthony returned to nursing and has been in behavioral health sciences with Rumsey since 2000. In 2001, Anthony returned to CSI and completed his BSN while studying for promotion within the FDNY. He worked per diem for 15 years with Rumsey's psychiatric inpatient unit and has worked at the Silberstein Center since 2015. Anthony is currently an active deputy chief with the FDNY and the healthcare coordinator for MC Silberstein Center. So welcome once again. So maybe you could tell us a bit about the programs that you oversee and describe the services that are offered in each program. Sure. Um, So first I want to start by talking about the South Shore Safety Net and the Youth Achieving Independence Program. Sure. The South Shore Safety Net Program serves youth ages 16 to 24 who are at risk of using substances or currently using drugs. And so when I say at risk, I just want to pause for a second and Mm -hmm. explain what what that could mean. At risk could mean, for example, being homeless. It could mean if, if if the child is living in the home, perhaps a parent is using drugs. It could mean that they're having academical difficulties, Um, So anything, you know, environmental situation, living situation that could potentially place a kid at risk Mm -hmm. of using drugs. That's who qualifies for the South Shore Safety Net Program, 16 to 24 at risk of using drugs. The Youth Achieving Independence Program is for youth also 16 to 24 who are diagnosed with a mental health condition. So it's the sister program. The mm-hmm. only difference is that one treats substance use, one mental health disorders. Okay. And the programs are both certified by the New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene. Mm-hmm. And the program is an evidence-supported, community-based early intervention model called Transition to Independence Process, so the TIP model. Okay. 
And the TIP model focuses on five things. It focuses on educational opportunities, living situation, community life functioning, personal effectiveness and well-being, and employment and career. Um, services are designed to strengthen families and help youth to develop competencies and skills that promote economic self-sufficiency, self-reliance, and personal growth. So one thing that I wanted to speak a little bit more on is that age, the 16 to 24, it's such a vulnerable time Absolutely. in someone's life. Um, at that age, you're you know dealing with a lot of insecurities. Mm -hmm. What am I going to do when I get older? Am I going to amount to anything? You know, you have a lot of thoughts of just generally like feeling insecure mm -hmm. about what's the next phase. And that's why I think that trans transition to independence and that the goal of the program really shines and just helping kids through that transition. And you have these insecurities at that age when you come from a place where you actually have resources and a loving family that can help guide you. Imagine for kids who are homeless and don't have that support, how much more difficult it is for them mm -hmm. to deal with those insecurities and have those challenges. And that that's one of the reasons why this program, I think, is just such a blessing to the youth that enter it. Mm -hmm. um, so the program provides case management, referrals and linkages, opportunities for community engagement, computer training, GED, and college readiness training. Um, another really great aspect of the program is that it does Career Club, which is a curriculum that is prepared by Columbia University. And the curriculum is taught by life coaches who work in the program, and it's personalized to meet individual needs of students. The life coaches actually go into different schools and work sites throughout Staten Island to teach the students um, in 11th and 12th grade. And they, um, during one class period throughout the entire school year, the life coaches go into, into the schools and they teach the curriculum. We're in Port Richmond High School, South Richmond High School, New Dorp High School. Um, and it's also incorporated in our group therapy program. We have a clinical program, which I'll speak more about later at South Avenue. So they actually go into the group therapy to teach the kids, to share the curriculum mm -hmm. with, with the kids. And it's tailored to help youth navigate things like finances, how to find a job, how to write a check, what to wear on an interview, how to write a resume, and everything that encompasses them to be self-sufficient. You know, some, some, some students after high school, they want to, their goal is to enter the workforce, you know, after school, whereas others may want to go into higher education opportunities like college. So it's individualized based on what their goals are after after high school, right? Mm -hmm. So if their goal is to further their education, then the life coach would help them identify what steps they need to take in order to do that. So like, these are my strengths. These are the majors that align with my strengths. These are the colleges available that offer that major. And so... Like I said, the career club, even though it's called career club, it's really individualized because not everyone may want to immediately enter the workforce, but other students, you know, other students want to, you know, further their education. Of course. Another great aspect of the program is that they have social events um, for the youth. Um, so obviously, this is an opportunity for them to maximize their social skills in other ways other than using 
drugs. Mm -hmm. And it also helps them mitigate the negative impact of their mental health challenges and work through those difficulties in a safe place, in a safe environment that the program provides. So social events run on a large scale in that they have up to 25 kids attending these social events where the youth can socialize with everyone or they may choose to just connect with one or two people that they share similar struggles with. Um, So it's a really great, um, I know that they've done different events like at Dave and Buster's, Applebee's, the bowling alley, um, pottery making places, um, game day. They do in-house events too at 1130 South Avenue. Oh, that's great. I I know that they've even done um, for one of the youth that was expecting um, they held a baby shower for her. So it's just like nice awesome. sense of community. Nice sense for, of community absolutely. support. Mm-hmm. So although their goal is, is to center their services around employment, education, and vocational services, Safety Net has the ability to break through in the interim any challenges that a youth may be facing. Uh, Safety, Net, Safety Net really supports a youth in their challenges by assisting them with things that may stop them from moving forward. Personally, I know safety net to take a youth food shopping, for example, because there were struggles in the home with finances, take a youth clothes shopping to help them feel a part of society, help them feel confident, take youth grooming, such as for hair and nails, um, provide personal hygiene products and pay for school applications for, you know, college school applications. There's, there always tends to be a fee for those. And largely the program does work with homeless youth. I think I might've mentioned that. Mm -hmm. Earlier, I think that that kind of gives like a good overview of the different things. It's that the program absolutely offers. No, it mm-hmm. does for sure. And um, maybe you could share some yeah. of the success stories that the programs had. One of the greatest success stories, and I, I will I will say this. Um, so Basilio Allen, he's manages. He's the direct manager of the program. Yes. And when I was talking to him about this podcast, and we were sort of like planning out, you know, what to talk about, and it came up, well, we should we should talk about some of the success stories. And I turned to him, and he paused. He was thinking of, you know, which which of the many that he could share. But I said to him, you know, you are probably the greatest success story. And he gave me permission to share this on the podcast, so mm-hmm. I'm not like breaching confidentiality right now. But I said to him, I said, you are probably the greatest success story because he was actually the first client um, of the program when they opened their doors in 2008. And he worked diligently with his life coach to achieve his goals. He uh, personally shared with me that he's had challenges of homelessness himself and being in the foster care system. But because of the safety net program, um, he received help and now he runs the program. That's amazing. Today. So admirable. Yeah. So I think that, you know, I just really wanted to share that. I, you know, just kudos and shout out to Basilio. He does a great job with the program, too. He does. Another success story there was a youth residing in the TIL program, Transition Independent Living, which is a homeless program through uh, Project Hospitality. He was homeless, worked alongside her life coach to get into school, obtain a full time job, and live independently after two years of being in the program. The youth currently holds a 3.8 GPA and is going into her fourth semester of college. Okay. 
lives on her own independently, where Safety Net has helped her get some domestic items for her home and is working full-time as a teacher's assistant. That's fantastic. um, And then just the third one that I'll share is um, another youth who has had his parents involved in his care. He came to the program with no direction of what he wanted to do. um, And after establishing his goals with his life coach, um, he identified what his future plans, he has graduated a trade school, um, graduated high school, now working in a union position uh, where he receives benefits and is able to financially support himself. And he now lives on his own. So that's, I mean, when you're that age too, like you're, you're one of the goals that you have is like, I want to eventually like be financially independent and yes. move out of my parents' house. Mm-hmm. Those are just some of the the few I mean, stories. It's, it's mm-hmm. hard enough to accomplish those things right. in a fully functioning mm-hmm. home. Yes. So let alone, you know, kudos to these kids. That's wonderful. Yes. And what a fantastic. I think that's a testament to the workers that are yes. at Safety Net to like yeah. be able to take people in, mm-hmm. make them feel comfortable and enough guide to them. Uh, yeah. share and Mm-hmm. Give the experience together. Exactly. That's a vulnerable cool. space to put somebody mm-hmm. in, of course, and to have that support and yeah. guidance. You, you couldn't ask for more. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. That's Agreed. wonderful. Mm-hmm. Wow. So now if somebody mm-hmm. is listening and they were yeah. interested in becoming a client, how do they go about doing so? So um, so you would simply call mm-hmm. um, the number, but you have to. So, so you have to be between the ages of 16 and 24, as I okay. mentioned and either at risk of using, and this is very broad, right? Like I explained, like there's many different um, reasons someone could be considered at risk. So, you know, we're not too nitpicky about that. Yes. Um, So 16 to 24 at risk of using substances or currently using, or you are diagnosed with a mental health condition 16 to 24, and you would simply call 718 a one eight five zero five seven, and okay. that's the number. Mm-hmm. And you would, you know, just explain. You don't have to be referred by anyone. You could independently call. A parent could call. The client themselves can call. You know, let the person know that you know you're interested in becoming becoming a client of the program. And we're located at eleven thirty South Avenue. And how frequently mm-hmm. would somebody come for? Yeah, so it, it depends. It's individualized, but typically the students are coming once, twice a week. Once or twice a week. Yeah, okay. and then like the frequency lessens as they, you know, achieve their or goals and become, yeah, mm-hmm. got it. More stable. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that was Safety Net and the Youth Achieving Independence mm-hmm. Program. Can you tell us now about the Adolescent and Adult Substance Abuse Program? Yes. So the adult program, the Adult Substance Abuse Clinic, is called Silberstein. Okay. And we serve individuals 18 and older who are seeking treatment for substance use and co-occurring mental health disorders. We are licensed by the New York State Office of Addiction Services and Supports, OASIS, and work to support the goals of that office, providing accessible resources to the community, all in an effort to reduce the negative impact of drug addiction in our community. Our clinic is staffed with licensed clinicians, credentialed alcohol and substance abuse counselors, medical and psychiatric personnel, and peer advocates. And we have Anthony here who will talk about more about his role in the, yeah. in the medical realm. And then the adolescent, so that's the adult program. The adolescent program is also an OASIS licensed addiction program, which focuses exclusively on the treatment of adolescents and young adults ages 11 to 24. Okay. So both of the programs do essentially the same thing, yeah. except for one treats 11 to 24, and the adult program 
18 and older. So we tend to refer, if we get a call, we tend to refer the clients that up to 24 to the adolescent and 24 and older into the silver scene program, just to like, Mm -hmm. you know, simplify the path to recovery is different for for everyone. Right. So someone, someone's goal may be to be abstinent and to stop using drugs altogether. Whereas other people are interested in more of a harm reduction approach and they want to decrease the risks associated of their youth of their use you know the harm reduction is sometimes like a hard concept for people to understand or accept if you like shut people out that are interested in that approach then you're missing like such a large group of people not everyone that's just like realistic it's not realistic to think that everyone's ultimate goal is going to be to stop using drugs altogether so we take on a person-centered approach where we meet the clients where they're at and we want to keep the lines of communication open and you know there's no stigma or or judgment we really look at what the client's goals are right we our assessment process so when someone enters treatment our assessment process has three components we complete a psychosocial evaluation, a psychiatric evaluation, and a physical evaluation. Um, okay. Because understanding a client's history of substance use, family history, physical, uh, mental health help us, helps us design a person-centered treatment plan that accounts for all aspects yeah. of a client's health and uh, well-being. Um, so we offer a variety of in-person and telehealth uh, program options. Um, so the therapeutic services include uh, drug, alcohol, and mental health assessment, individual and group psychotherapy. We have nine groups that run throughout the week in the daytime, in the evening. If people can't attend the program during the day because they work or they go to school, we have program at night. Yeah. Um, we stay open till 830 um, on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We have family therapy. So family members are able to be involved in helping plan their loved ones uh, treatment goals if they choose, if mm-hmm. the client chooses. We do toxicology testing and case management services. And in addition, we also provide specialized services to mandated populations. So people who are on parole, probation, treatment court, oh, yeah. ACS, or people needing to complete a court-mandated DUI assessment, Mm. we provide that as well. Um, The psychiatric and medical services include a comprehensive psychiatric evaluation, prescription of psychiatric medication when indicated. Sometimes we have clients who are referred to us by a psychiatric inpatient. They've just spent like, you know, 30 days or whatever it is in a psychiatric hospital and they're discharged on medication, on psychiatric medication. And so when they enter our program, which is outpatient, we're, you know, so the difference between inpatient and outpatient, inpatients are actually there staying mm-hmm. for a period of time, whereas outpatient, you're coming and going for your for your appointment. So we're an outpatient clinic. So obviously when they get discharged and to not they're, for there not to be a lapse in their treatment, we get them in, you know, right after their discharge and continue their treatment. So continue their therapy, continue their medication. Just one thing that's important to note is that we're integrated. That's why the building is called the Center for Integrative Medicine. So we integrate behavioral health with medical services, right? So we're not just providing psychiatric services. We also have a nurse and a um, family nurse practitioner that can really serve as a primary care doctor for our clients. So it's kind of like a one-stop shop where they can, you know, receive comprehensive, integrative, integrated services. And it's important too for that 
population, when you're using drugs, at times you tend to neglect your your medical health. So mm-hmm. to have that conveniently located course, where you're already sits, it's a huge asset. We provide also medication assisted treatment for, and this is where I, you know, Anthony, if you can um, kind of speak more about that, um, including Suboxone, Sublocade oral naltrexone, and Vivitrol. So, Anthony, at this point, if you wanted to kind of go into detail about Mm -hmm. different kinds of medication-assisted treatment. Yeah, you know, these medicines have been in use for a long time. Okay. Uh, A couple of them are new to our clinic. So Vivitrol, we've been doing for about five years now. Sublocade, only about a year and a half. So the medication-assisted treatment includes medicines like methadone, which Mm -hmm. we do not do. You have to go to an outside clinic. Okay. So it's a daily travel, get your dose, go about your day. So sometimes people are hitting up a methadone clinic at four or five so they can get to work by six. Okay. So, you know, there's a lot of constraints with that. So at our clinic, we have the substitute, which is Suboxone. Mm-hmm. Suboxone is kind of similar to methadone with the idea that it's going to elicit some opiate response, not as aggressively as methadone. Okay. So they call it a partial agonist. So partially, it gives some relief. Gotcha. So right? these are medications that are for people who are on opioids. Opioids. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I have worked at the methadone clinic yes. uh, on Staten Island. So okay. I've done that. I've seen all different aspects. And uh, you we know, have clients on methadone, mm-hmm. but we don't dispense it at the clinic, like Anthony yeah. said. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You have to go to a separate clinic. Mm-hmm. And listen, uh, this is words out of. The client's mouth at methadone, sometimes they call it liquid gel. Okay. Right? That's been said. I've heard that because you have to go constantly. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes being on Suboxone, you can get the prescription. Right. You could be in control, take it, and go at your leisure. Yeah, methadone okay. is a daily thing, whereas Suboxone is a prescription uh-huh. that you can take at the con- you know in the convenience of your right. home. And you take it daily. And you take, take it, it daily, daily as well, Suboxone. Okay. You know, so the idea with Suboxone is that it's uh, potential for less abuse. Gotcha. Right, because it's a partial, you can't, it's like having a Ferrari and not being able to go 200 miles an hour. The Suboxone will only let you go 50 in that. So okay. to talk about how it like sits mm-hmm. on the receptors too. I yeah. think that was a, that's a good way of explaining it. Right. So, uh, you know, when somebody is using opiates, right, mm-hmm. the response that the body and mind has, right, because everybody tends to think that addiction is willpower. Yeah. Right. Maybe the first couple times you use it, you make a decision, but very quickly, you know, even in my role in the fire department, you know, when, when guys get hurt, the frequency of getting the pain meds, it's instead of getting, you know, a month's worth now, it's like five days and let's reevaluate because after that short time, your body could be dependent on it. Mm -hmm. Right. So the opiates, what they do is they kind of sit on the opiate receptors, which sort of takes the break off the dopamine response, right? The There's neurons that control the dopamine release. Mm-hmm. You take an opiate, that break is off the pedal, and now you can get a flux of dopamine throughout your body, and it is pain relief, euphoria, and continued use, you can get tolerance, right? So instead of one pill allowing you to get pain relief, you need maybe two pills or more frequently, and that's how addiction happens. So methadone sits on the receptors just like Suboxone, the active medicine is buprenorphine. But what it does is it sits on it and sort of lets things release calmly so you don't have an overload of dopamine, Mm -hmm. but just enough to get through your day. 
Uh, what we're finding is, though, Suboxone could be prescribed daily, yeah. once a day, twice a day, three mm -hmm. times a day. And sometimes I'm, I'm starting to see now, like, not everybody's on a schedule to go to sleep at 10 o'clock at night or 9 o'clock. They stay up late. The Suboxone will go up and down, fluctuate. They may feel lousy by the end of the day and need to take another one. So it's not an exact science, but abuse does come in with the Suboxone, the oral films. So what would you say are some of the most commonly abused drug trends that you're seeing at the clinic? We see a wide range of people presenting with different different drugs. Um, a lot of times we see people that did get a prescription of opiate painkillers and then their use escalated to heroin use. Mm -hmm. um, we see people coming in with alcohol, cocaine, marijuana, you know, any drug, you name it, we've, okay. we've seen it. Um, but I think a, a very common is what we're seeing yeah. is opiates. Opiates, people starting with the prescription, escalating to heroin, IV use. And, and, we, and we have also, besides the Suboxone, which is an oral, make you fluctuate, mm -hmm. the Sublicate is injectable. Brand okay. new to us. Mm -hmm. Tons of success. People that maybe have been on Suboxone for seven years, mm -hmm. struggling to get off, the injectable form is once every 28 days, no fluctuation through the day. You're sort of steady state, and you can stay up late, go to bed early, and mm -hmm. you are you do well. You mm. do very well. And are you seeing a prevalence of fentanyl on Staten Island? Yes. Uh, yeah. So a lot of times what we see, too, because I mentioned earlier we do toxicology testing, is that when people see the results, they know that they have you know are using heroin, but they're seeing fentanyl also come up and unbeknown to, to them, them yeah. right? So a lot of times, so fentanyl is being found in, in products, um, heroin, cocaine, methamphetamine. And, and I can't tell you how often that happens where the client is completely unaware that they took fentanyl. And it's very lethal, lethal. in such a yeah. micro amount, right? Mm -hmm. and Meredith, that's why the yeah. Narcan kits, you know, Nar Narcan, which medicine, the active medicine is naloxone. Mm -hmm. Narcan is brand name Narcan, just like Tylenol would be for acetaminophen. Yeah. But the Narcan is used for opiate overdose. Okay. Right, all the medicines we talked about. But fentanyl found in everything. You know, I've had friends that, uh, you know, maybe overdosed because they went out to a bar, decided to do a little bit of cocaine and no cocaine in their toxicology when they were in overdose wow. or fentanyl. And so, fent fentanyl mm -hmm. is, is a synthetic opiate that is 30 to 50 times stronger right. than heroin. Yeah. So where you look at a little pile of powder for heroin to overdose, uh, with fentanyl you're talking about a grain or two of salt. Yeah, they said it's like the amount yeah. that fits on the tip of a pencil that right. it could be lethal, right? It's found in 80% of overdose deaths in so New, York, scary. New York State. Mm -hmm. so, so at least with the Narcan, yeah. the, the most important thing is it only is for opiate overdose. Yeah. The problem is fentanyl is being found in everything that's illegal, right? Yeah. So if somebody is on pills, like for a stimulant, a kid's on Adderall, but there's a chance that they use their medicines early, Maybe they're getting the rest of their month from illegal sources. There's a potential that there's fentanyl in it. Uh -huh. So when you don't know, I recommend spraying the Narcan and potentially seeing if it works. So it Narcan, won't cause any harm if yeah. it's if yeah. you're using if you're using Narcan and someone who isn't overdosing for for example, it's not going to cause any harm to okay. that person. Yeah. So it can't hurt. So it's better safe to you know if you suspect someone's overdosing. But uh, what I was going to say too is that. Um, Heroin, why well, I mentioned it's present at eight in approximately 80% of overdose deaths in New York. Over 100,000 people are dying each year 
of um, overdose in New York State. Um, So pharmaceutical fentanyl, right? It's used, it's prescribed for severe pain and end-of-life care, whereas non-pharmaceutical fentanyl is produced illegally and has been found in cocaine, heroin, ketamine, methamphetamine, supplies in New York City, and even counterfeit uh, benzos such as Xanax or Clonopin. And it can't be identified by sight, taste, or smell. And this is important too, is that obviously if, if your drug contains fentanyl, you're at higher risk of overdose. And the risk of overdose is even higher if fentanyl is present in non-opioid opioid drug, uh, such as cocaine, and the person taking it does not usually use opiates, right? Mm. So if you, you're using cocaine and you don't usually use, you don't have the tolerance okay. for you know, for yeah. heroin, obviously you're at greater risk. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's important. Um, and since it's not detectable, one thing that I was going to also mention is that we provide... Oh, another, another thing that it's found in uh, this new drug, xylazine. I don't know if you've heard of it, but xylazine is a veterinarian tranquilizer that yeah. people are now... Kind of goes by also trank. Kind of goes by trank that people being are now mixed. using. And it's like a deadly combination, obviously. Um, so it's being found in xylazine as well. So one of the things that we offer and we provide at the clinic are fentanyl test strips. Okay. Um, and so what these are, um, you can actually test your drug to see if there's fentanyl, fentanyl presence. So, yeah. so this sounds very aggressive, really even very controversial in the groups we have with people in, uh, in recovery. The concern is meet them where they're at, be their support, show them no judgment, allow the conversation. And then hopefully while they're there, at some point, they can make that transition to get clean yeah. once and for, for all and maybe not have to use the test strips. But, Absolutely. So. Now, now, what entails yeah. Narcan training and how mm-hmm. is it administered? So, you know, we were getting Narcan from the state. Other people who had extra kids, we would give out. So we created, we applied for the license to be an opioid overdose prevention program. Okay. So... Our clinic is it. We supply Narcan to the ED, psych inpatient, CPEP, and all the other behavioral health outpatient areas. So basically, the Narcan will re- reverse an opioid overdose, mm-hmm. right? Heroin, Percocet, hydrocodone, all these things. But like we were talking about, fentanyl can be found in anything illegal. You don't even know if your cocaine or Xanax or Adderall are the cause if they're illegal drugs. If if that's causing the opiate overdose. Mm-hmm. So basically, in the kit provided, you have a bunch of things. You have gloves you can use. You have a, a, a mouth barrier in case you do rescue breathing so okay. you don't get contaminated. Of course. Problem with this is sometimes it's an aversion for people to do anything. You can do rescue breathing at some point, but what's in the kit that's going to save their lives is the brand name Narcan. Yeah. This is naloxone. Naloxone is very aggressive to the opiate receptors. The opiates sit on the receptors calm, quiet, everything, they quiet the breathing down to the point that they're not breathing. Wow. Right? Blue lips, blue fingertips, snoring. So they are about to die. They are barely breathing. The Narcan kit. Right. So if you see someone who used to show the signs of an overdose, if you see someone who said, what it was it look like? Anthony mm-hmm. mentioned it. Unresponsiveness or loss of consciousness, slower stopped breathing, blue, gray, or white lips and fingernails, uh, snoring. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes you see people like hunched over, you know, this is a, a potential sign that they're overdosing. Um, and if 
that happens, you would respond in such a way yeah. where you would mm -hmm. first call 911, right? Go ahead. Yeah, you would, you know, obviously you're going to supply the Narcan to the client, mm -hmm. patient, whether it's a family member or somebody you see on the outside, you call 911. You put this little atomizer in their nostril mm -hmm. and you spray it. Okay. One dose done. You don't get another chance. You wait two or, two or three minutes. At that point, you can do rescue breathing if you like while you wait for EMS or 911 to come. After two minutes, if there's no response, if they didn't spontaneously start breathing and coming out of their their lethargy, you would use the other one in the other nostril. Okay. Right? The science is use the other nostril in case they have a deviated septum to make sure oh. the medicine gets to the sinus and absorbed. Okay. Right? The reason why you call 911, because there's a chance that people may use together. Maybe they have the idea like, oh, we got out of that. That was a close call. Let's go back to doing what we were doing. Let's, you know... Put Netflix back on. Narcan only lasts 30 to 90 minutes. So there's a chance when this wears off, the opiates sit back on the receptors and then back in overdose. Wow. So 911 has to be called. And then right? what would happen if, you know, occur again? Could they get another? They could. Narcan? It would work. Okay. Again. Okay. You know, so having more kits is a possibility. There are times where somebody uses enough opiates that sometimes two sprays doesn't work. Wow. You know, EMS has intravenous Narcan. Mm -hmm. It gets there quicker. Yeah. Bolus dose. That sometimes needs mm -hmm. to happen. Needs this to happen. isn't enough. They have to yeah. use the IV. Well, you can Narcan. use multiple doses. If I've yeah. had if I have eight at my house and something happens to one of my family members, I'm gonna use what I can to make sure it so starts to come around. When the Narcan is effective, how does somebody they will react. come out of it and be yeah. pretty uncomfortable and pretty upset. Yeah. I've heard they could be yeah. very angry. Yes. Yeah. Because they're now in withdrawal. Uh, so so right? the problem is, you know, like people will come out angry. You got to be careful. You may get beat up. So like there's an aversion there, right? But okay. what's happening is lots of times these people don't even know they overdose, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, they come out, they're confused. Mm -hmm. They kind of snap out of it, but it's not like right to their feet, Yeah. you know, hitting you. But they're, they're uncomfortable. They're in a complete withdrawal, which is maybe the worst flu-like symptoms, anxiety, depression, just your body is quivering and aching because... This sits on the receptors so aggressively, like they have nothing in them. Their immediate it's withdrawal. Immediate withdrawal. Okay. And it's a terrible thing. Oh, is this something that the fire department always has on hand now mm -hmm. as well? Oh, yeah. For years, they've, uh, yeah. first responders, the, the location mm -hmm. of the firehouses affords them geographical coverage. They're on scene first, and many times firefighters will spray the Narcan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. And so at the clinic, we offer a Narcan kit to, so how do we distribute Narcan? We offer a kit to every single client who is admitted to the program. We distribute them at outreach events, community events, um, and we also, Anthony mentioned this, we supply the medical emergency room with kits and okay. the medical ED, Rumsey's medical yes. ED gives out about 200 to 400 kits a month. Wow. Um, and Anthony's also involved in training um, the department, the behavioral health department, the staff, um, in Narcan and overdose prevention. So we're trying to get it out mm -hmm. in the, as many hands as possible. And another thing that I just wanted to quickly mention is um, we also talk about different overdose prevention tips. Mm -hmm. um, so if you use drugs, use them with other people. 
yeah. right? Don't use alone. Take turns. I mean, again, this is this might may sound odd, but you know, we have to talk about these things. People who are actively using, actively testing positive, we want to go over these different overdose prevention tips. Um, test your drugs, right? If you're yes. going to use, we offer the fentanyl test strips. Um, avoid mixing drugs, um, using different drugs together, um, including benzos, right, mm -hmm. and fentanyl, um, increases your risk of overdose. And go slow. Go slow, right? Absolutely. Take small amounts. Of so course, we, of we, course. we go over those tips as well. No, I 100%. Um, I want to thank you, Ileana yeah. and Anthony, for <laughs> joining today and for all that you do to help people in our community. This was extremely informative. And for anybody who would like more information about mm -hmm. the addiction services, they can call 718-818-6970 or yes. visit rumseysi.org. Thank you once again. Meredith, I'm Meredith Thank you so much, Meredith. Yes. Thank you.